Coming up on the Rami Lavie podcast, we had a wild day in the NFL. The first full Sunday of games, there were some upsets. There were some crazy scores, including a 40-0 blowout to end it. Tyree Kill went off. So many other things happened. And oh yeah, the Green Bay Packers still own you, Chicago. We talked about every single game, broke it down, talked about my picks from Friday, everything, all that, and a whole lot more coming up right now on the Rami Lavie podcast. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 163, a full day of football. And let me tell you, there was some overload. Like, you got to get back in rhythm. You got to get back in midseason form, let me tell you, because uh, seven hours straight and then into Sunday night football, by the end of it, it's just a ton. You have so many bets. You're following so many different games. You have to get used to being able to follow red zone again, because that's a skill. Let me tell you, people don't know. Following red zone and keeping track of every game, what's going on in each game is definitely a skill. And uh, I had to hone that skill and you have to relearn it because it's a new season. Everyone's getting back. You have to figure out your bathroom breaks. You got to figure out, you know, your eating schedule, whatever's going on. Um, and it was a wild day today. So I recorded early this morning with Mookie for the in-flight snack Jets podcast, then started on all the games, took a bunch of notes. Finished up, wrapped up, and posted the Jets podcast, hit a quick workout, and then sat down for Sunday Night Football. So it was a pretty wild pack day um, for me and just a crazy, crazy, just crazy seven hours of football. That's that's how it is. And also, because I'm in a new apartment, I'm in New York now, I'm not in Baltimore anymore, so I had a new setup, so I had to get used to that, trying to set up the TVs and my iPad. Last year, I was in a studio, right, working the Ravens game, so... There's pluses and minuses to it. You're missing some of the stuff because you're working on the Ravens game. But during the game, it was pretty calm. I wasn't doing much. Just clipping the highlights for the Ravens game mostly. And so during the game, it's pretty quiet. So you really, I had three TVs in the studio. I had my laptop in front of me. I had my iPad. I had the setup and I figured it out. You know, as the season went on, you get into your rhythm and you're doing the same thing over and over again for week after week. And now you have to hold, have a whole new setup. In my new apartment, I'm not, first of all, I'm not even used to being home for Sunday's football, right? The year before, I was practically at every Ravens game. So I'm not even used to being home in the first place. So the fact that I'm home, the fact that I had to figure out a new apartment and figure out the setup, crazy. And then 
the games themselves because the games are always wild because that's what happens week one. It's always just off the charts. Something crazy is always going to happen. And it started, or I guess it didn't start, but the craziest of them all, and this is where I want to start, was Sunday Night Football. The New York Giants, and I don't know what happened. I First of all, start with my bet. I took the Giants' money line. That was my bet for the Sunday night football game. I lost that bet. The Giants lost to the Dallas Cowboys 40 to nothing in their home opener in a game that's been the most hyped-up Giants game. Everyone talked about hyping up the Jets. This has been the most hyped-up Giants game as far as a season opener in years. The most anticipated Giants season in a long time. Last year wasn't anticipated. They thought Daniel Jones was going to be out as the starting quarterback halfway through the season. And then to come into this year with these expectations, Dable year two, Daniel Jones off a huge contract, Saquon Barkley gets franchise tagged, but he's going to play for us. He's going to man up. He's going to be there. And you know what? I never thought I hated the Giants. I talked about this a lot on the In-Flight Snack podcast because when we talked about the Jets, a lot of the stuff in Hard Knocks was the Jets-Giants rivalry. And we talked about it a lot on the fan. It became a big story, big topic in New York. Jets versus Giants. Which team has more expectations? Which team is better? Which team should you be rooting for? And I never thought I hated the Giants. And then I was watching this game and I was like, damn, I fucking hate the Giants. Because they were pissing me off and I was watching them lose. And I had money on them in every possible way. And I was like, so happy. And I'm tweeting hate these tweets that I'm tweeting out. I'm all the hate. I'm tweeting out Daniel Jones stealing money from the Giants. I'm tweeting out about how bad their defense was. Wow, can you imagine? Everyone talks all offseason about how great the Giants' upgrades were at the wide receiver position, at the skill position with the tight end. Can you imagine if they didn't have all those weapons, how bad this would be? 40 nothing's bad enough. It would be even worse if they didn't have all those great upgrades. And I was like, do I really hate the Giants? I did not know that. I learned something new about myself. And then as I started to tweet that, I was like, maybe I should pipe down a little bit because... In my head, it always comes back to the Jets. You know that if you've been listening to this podcast for a while. And I start thinking, well, if this team could be such a disaster. This team that all we talked about was the expectations for the Giants. This is going to be a disaster for the Jets. Are they just absolutely just going to blow it tonight on Monday Night Football? Home opener, 9-11, DeMar Hamlin coming back, Aaron Rodgers' first game. Is it going to be an unmitigated disaster? Look, the Jets' disasters are bad enough when there's zero expectations for them to be good, when there's zero expectations for them to win. If the Jets have high expectations, which they do going into this year, and now they blow it, and now they're awful, I'm done. I'm out. Because that I can't handle. I've never had to deal with that. I've had to deal with the Jets being extremely frustrating, even when there's no expectations. The expectation is low. You know that, what is it, the meme or whatever that it's like, wow, the expectations were low, but damn, this is, you exceeded even that. That's how I feel about the Jets every year. The expectations are low, but they lower them somehow. Now the expectations are high. If they do what the Giants did tonight, if they do that, I don't know what to tell you, man. And it's part of the problem, my mind, my thoughts, I always talk about this. There's a balance. I want to be informed, so I want to consume media as much as possible because this is my job to consume media, to be informed on everything that's going on. But I also don't want to pollute my mind with thoughts that aren't original, that aren't mine. And so when I consume New York sports media, the last few years I was in Baltimore, I wasn't consuming any New York sports media. I mean, I listened to the fan. I listened to Craig Carton. 
you want to call that sports media? I knew I didn't trust his sports takes. I just like the way the spin he put on everything was different, right? And when I was down there, it's still so different. Now I'm in New York every day. I'm with guys at the fan. I hear callers at the fan. And all they talk about was the skill position player upgrades. They talk about Hodgins and Hyatt and Waller. And they talk about year two of Dable and Daniel Jones being the next great thing. And he's better than Dak and he's better than Kirk Cousins. And he's better than this guy and that guy and all these different quarterbacks. And Tiki Barber calling him top 10 and Sean Marash putting him in the Hall of Fame. And I listen to this every day and I'm part of it every day. And they pollute my mind to thinking that this team's really good. And then I look at the Vegas number and I'm like, seven and a half, this team's going to win 15 games based on everything I'm hearing. And then I remember, no, this team's not very good. This team's actually pretty bad. And this team might actually be a seven or a six win team. And tonight was a disaster. And it makes me question everything we saw from the Giants. I look back at last year now and I'm like, huh, was this team that good last year? Or did we just overrate them? Were we wrong about them this entire time? Was Vegas right all along? This Giants team just stunk all along? Or is this just one fluke, just one case scenario? So I go back to last year and I look. Giants won nine games last year. They were nine, seven, and one. And then they won a 10th game in the playoffs. Let's look through all the wins. Giants wins last year. Week one, they beat the Tennessee Titans 21 to 20. The Titans were a seven and 10 football team last year. Not a particularly good team. And the Giants barely won that game. Their second win came against Carolina, a 19 to 16 win, also a field goal win, a close game against a Carolina team that was seven and 10 last year and wasn't even that good. That was just because they played in an awful division. Their third win was a 20 to 12 win over the Chicago Bears, the three and 14 Chicago Bears, and they barely beat them. They beat them by a touchdown. Their fourth win came in London. So that's always weird, right? London game against Aaron Rodgers, who was hurt and struggled mightily last year in the Packers. This was a really good win. It was one of the best Giants win of the seasons because the Packers, while being eight and nine, still not a team that was over 500. The Giants, again, four wins in, still haven't beaten a team that was 500 or better. But they beat the Packers 27 to 22. They actually put a point, still only a five-point game. Their fifth win, and this is the only time they beat a team that was, or the only time they beat a double-digit win team, was the Baltimore Ravens. They beat them 24 to 20 on a game where the Ravens absolutely collapsed down the stretch and blew it. Their secondary just disappeared down the stretch. And that was the Giants win. They won 24 to 20 against the Ravens, a 10 and 7 team. Their sixth win of the season came against the Jags, who were a pretty good team, right? So they beat the Jags 23-17. And the Jags were a 9 and 8 team, though. But at the time, the Jags were in the midst of a five-game losing streak. That was the fourth of the five games that they lost. And they were a terrible team at that point in the season until they got hot later in the year. So at that point, I think they were like a three and seven team or something like that. And then ultimately they end up going six and one ten the season and go nine and eight. But when the Giants beat them, they weren't a very good football team. And the Giants won by six points. And then they beat Houston 24 to 16. If you remember that game, they tried to blow it so many different ways. The Giants kept letting Houston back in again and again and again. And then Giants won against by eight points against a team that went three thirteen and one and wasn't even that good. They weren't even as good as a 3-13-1 team, the Houston Texans. That was the Giants' seventh win. Their eighth win was Sunday night football in Washington. I was there. They won 20-12. And Washington was 8-8-1 last year. And if you remember last year, that game at the end, at the goal line, so many different times, it felt like Washington showed a score to at least tie the game, at least tie the game. And whether it got called back for penalties or that last total BS penalty call, just crazy calls over and over again went against Washington at the end of that game. 
and went the Giants' favor. And there were some people who were even saying that they were just trying to usher Dan Snyder out the door. So that's your eighth win. The ninth win, and this is the most convincing win of the season that the Giants had, was a 38-10 blowout against the 4-12-1 Colts. I think this was either the game that ultimately got Jeff Saturday hired or he was already there. So not a very good football team either. You beat Trash last year. And you go into the playoffs and you beat a team, the one playoff win you win in Miami, in Minnesota against an awful Minnesota defense, 31-24. to And the team, by the way, Minnesota, we saw what they did today. Not very good. And then the following week, you get blown out 38-7 to in Philly. And this giant team that we saw tonight looked more like the Philly game team than the Minnesota game team. Not only that, they were far worse tonight than they were in Philly last year in the playoffs. So the last two times we saw this Giants team play, they were terrible. And it's so hard to come here and go through nine wins, ten wins, and a playoff team, divisional round team, and dismantle every single thing that they did last year just because of one awful performance. But that's how awful the performance was today. 40 nothing at home? Before you could blink... They were down 26 nothing before you could blink. And what happened this offseason, right? Daniel Jones gets $84 million guaranteed. They upgrade the wide receiver positions, apparently. And then you watch this game, and after the first drive started really well, they looked unprepared. They looked poorly coached. They had a couple of they had to call timeouts early because they weren't ready. They weren't set. They looked sloppy. They had a blocked field goal, and then it's 26 nothing before you could even blink. And not only that, they looked like they gave up, which is the sign of a bad team. In week one, down 26 nothing, you gave up. You had no fight in you. And that was the one thing with Dable, right? No matter what, this team's going to fight. This team has fight in them. Where was that tonight? Just an absolutely pathetic showing by the Giants. On the Dallas side. And so, by the way, so, when you talk about minimizing everything they did last year, I didn't minimize it. The Giants just went out and minimized everything they did last year. Daniel Jones now has to re-earn that $84 million guaranteed he got. Saquon Barkley was good, but at some point you can't hold on. You can't keep handing the ball off, right, if you're down 26 points. Dallas wasn't that great against the run. That was the thing. If the Giants kept running... Maybe they would have had a chance, but they couldn't keep running because they were down so many points. They had to start putting up points. And everything goes downhill from there. It just snowballed, spirals. And on the Dallas side, their front is incredible at rushing the passer. They might actually murder Aaron Rodgers next week. Like, I'm scared. I'm going to look at a headline and be like, oh, Aaron Rodgers dies on the field against Micah Parsons. But that's what they did to this Giants offensive line, which is not a great offensive line. Don't get me wrong. But they're not supposed to be this bad. And that's what happened tonight. I'm scared for the Jets next week. I'm scared for the Jets tonight on Monday Night Football. I keep using tonight as both tonight, Sunday night, and I keep using tonight as both Monday night also. It's middle of the night right now, Sunday night. So early Monday morning, by the time you hear this, it'll be Monday. So I'll try and stick to one and figure out which one I do. As far as the offense for Dallas, they didn't need to do much, right? Still, Pollard had a great game. It was so funny. Um, Collinsworth said at some point, he said that 
Dak Prescott in all the videos, they said, we went back and watched every single one of Dak's interceptions. A lot of them were on him, but a lot of them were when he was just taking shots downfield. He hasn't done that tonight. He's been so methodical. Dak didn't have to do that tonight. He didn't have to do anything. He could just take his time, throw easy passes because he was up 14-0 before he even took the field, right? Pretty easy, pretty easy job, pretty easy gig if you ask me, if you're Dak Prescott. And so I don't know. He might throw four picks against Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed next week. But I don't know. We haven't even seen that team play a game yet. The only thing I was so disappointed in, the only thing I was disappointed in Dallas about was I didn't get to see Trey Lance. You went to the backup quarterback, but you went to the wrong one at the end of the game. I wanted to see Trey Lance in the game. For all the talk about Trey Lance, it would have been fun. And by the way, after all that, I just, in a, in 30 minutes of football and 10 minutes of me talking, I dismantled the entire giant successful playoff run to the second round of the playoffs of the divisional round last year. If you think that's an overreaction to one game, you're going to want to strap in and buckle in because guess what? This is about to be the overreaction pot of the century. This is what we do after week one. Week one overreactions, this is what we're here for. It's called reach one overreactions for a reason. If you watch tomorrow, if you watch any of the talking head shows, if you listen to WFN, if you listen to any sports talk radio, all anyone's going to be doing is overreacting. It's why I'm so happy the Jets didn't play today. Now we can all overreact to them on Tuesday. But yeah, buckle up because there's going to be a lot more overreactions. So here we go. We roll on with week one overreactions. We started with Sunday Night Football. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's get into the games. Let's start with the one o'clock games. Let's start with one game that I thought was maybe the most surprising game from the one o'clock games. The Cincinnati Bengals go into Cleveland and lose 24 to 3. So, so far my picks, I'm 0 for 2. I picked Cincinnati minus one and a half. I got that one wrong. So I got the Giants wrong also. 0 for 2. Early on, Cincinnati couldn't do much, but Cleveland just kept shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. And it felt like, Cleveland, when are you going to take advantage of this? Until that last drive of the first half. The last drive of the first half was as good a drive I've seen Deshaun Watson have since, I don't know, three years ago in Houston. He put together a great drive, goes right down the field. They march down the field and score before the half. And Joe Burrow on the other side was just terrible. And I wonder if he's rusty from the injury, but I went through every possession from the game that they had. This is crazy. Here are the Bengals' possessions. They went punt, 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 punt. Punt, punt, seven punts to start the game. Seven consecutive punts, if you're keeping track. Then halftime, right? They had one play before the half. So you don't even count that as a possession. Then they get a field goal to start the second half, a missed field goal, a punt, turnover on downs, punt, and then the game's over. So essentially, if you're keeping track at home, that's nine punts on 12 drives. The other three had a field goal, a missed field goal, and a turnover on downs. They just never got anything going. And we saw this sometimes last year where Joe Burrow would start off slow. Not seven punts in the first half on every possession slow. But he'd start off looking discombobulated, looking out of sorts a little bit, looking rusty. And then he'd go off in the second half. Or the opposite. He'd start off really hot and in the second half he'd kind of slow down. I think that was the Patriots game. So I was expecting him to come out, throw 200 yards and three touchdowns in the second half. I really was. And he came out in the second half and it was more of the same. They get a field goal to start, but then they miss a field goal. And then punt, downs, punts, game over. And then finally they start putting it together. Watson looked solid at times, and it always bothers me because Deshaun Watson celebrating, like standing there doing the air guitar and being all excited. 
something about him celebrating just feels wrong. It's like, I know you got reinstated, you got off, no pun intended, pun was definitely intended, um, and the league let you back in, but at some point, like, just know your place. Like, maybe for the next five years or for the rest of your career, just don't celebrate so hard. You could still be a great quarterback in the league and not celebrate so hard. Maybe you lost the right to celebrate because of the accusations and probably truthful accusations against you. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Alleged accusations against you. Hopefully he doesn't listen. Hopefully no one sues me. Don't sue me. Please don't. I don't have the money for that. But yeah, I don't know. Something just felt ugh about him celebrating. Nick Chubb is still really good. Runs for over 100 yards. But this game was sloppy both ways. And yet, this wasn't the worst game in the NFC North. I thought the NFC North was supposed to be awesome. And I'm like, wait, does the NFC North suck? Because another huge game in the early slate, in the one o'clock slate, was San Francisco against Pittsburgh. I had Pittsburgh at plus two and a half. Notice a theme. I'm 0-3 on my pick so far. And San Francisco blew the doors off of them. The first note I wrote from today, actually, because I had a notepad going the whole day, and the first note I wrote was, is Brock Purdy good? And then I was like, oh, shit, Brock Purdy might be good. (laughs) And it was at that moment that I realized, maybe I was wrong about this guy. Maybe I was wrong the whole time. And Sam Darnold might not start the Super Bowl. (laughs) I put out the social video. I go, that's my number one hot take prediction. Well, here's Brock Purdy so far. First of all, Brandon Ayuk might be the best receiver on the team. I talk so much about Debo Samuel. Ayuk has two touchdowns in the game. Two more touchdowns, I should say. CMC looks ridiculous just doing Christian McCaffrey things. Debo was great. Kittle was great too. But now, Brock Purdy in his first six career starts is 6-0. and He's won all six of them. And he's thrown two touchdowns at least in each one of them. Uh, Yeah, Brock Purdy might be good. And... Still, I said that there's a case, there's a scenario where he's really good, but his UCL doesn't hold up, which is torn. And then Sam Darnold still starts in the Super Bowl because I still think it's very capable for a team to, or an offense or a quarterback to be successful in this offense, even if they're not great. Now, the one thing you don't expect from Pittsburgh, even if they play poorly, is to be a total mess. But Kenny Pickett throws two interceptions. They look totally discombobulated. They looked unorganized they looked at and this is a team that everyone talked about well they played in preseason they're ready to go there was a tune-up blah 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 this is a team that was supposed to be ready to go to start the season because of all the prep and all the things everyone talked about and then they show up in the season and they're just an absolute train wreck and before you could even blink another game like the Giants game where before you could even blink it was over the good news for them is that TJ Watt's still extremely good he had a couple sacks but other than that my god This was a bad, bad day for the Pittsburgh Steelers and their fans. And uh, just want to flush this one and get on to the next one if you're Pittsburgh. I assume Kenny Pickett will get better. I assume better days are ahead of him. But this was a bad day. Turn the page on that one. The last team in the the AFC North that's supposed to be this juggernaut division, the only team that actually looked decent but still looked kind of sloppy as usual, was the Baltimore Ravens. This is the first one I got right. I picked the Baltimore Ravens minus 10. I said, I don't love huge numbers, but I got it right. I'm one in three right now, improving. The Ravens beat Houston, who I think is going to be the worst team in the league, 25 to nine. And Houston's making me feel great about that because guess what? Houston looked awful. Baltimore didn't look that great, but Houston looked awful. Ravens were sloppy as usual. 
the one thing I loved about the Ravens early on in this game was J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins finally looked like himself. I talked about how he couldn't finish runs at the end of the year last year or even the beginning of the year. How he'd have that initial burst, but he couldn't finish the runs. And today he was finishing them, finishing them strong to the point where when he dives for the end zone, he goes up over the top for the touchdown. And I was excited. I'm like, J.K. Dobbins is back, baby. I have him on my fantasy team. I'm really excited. And then he tears his Achilles. And for a guy who fought back and for a guy who talked so much about last year, feeling like I'm, I'm back, but I'm still not myself. I'm still not confident. He goes through the whole rehab and does everything right. And this year he finally looks and feels like himself And all the reports at a training camp or how excited everyone was for him and how excited he was for the season. And to see that he's going to be out now, it just breaks my heart because you don't, you don't root for injury ever. But for a guy like this who battled all the way back to now get hurt again, a guy who looked so successful in this Ravens offense is going to rely on him to be a really good running back. It just sucks. It's it's just, it's awful. Like, awful, awful stuff. And I, I feel terrible for him, and I hope he recovers. But he's out for the year. Torn Achilles. Just terrible news. Originally, I thought maybe it was an ankle. Maybe it was something else. I was hoping. But it was it was not. And um, Justice Hill comes in, scores twice. Wasn't great. They still have Gus Edwards. Are they a, now a sneaky, low-key team? If they're doing really well, do they try and trade for... Jonathan Taylor, one of their best players on the team last year was a guy they got, Roquan Smith, in the middle of the year, right? So maybe they do go out in the trade market and trade for a running back. Such a big part of their offense to offset the run action, the, the pass RPO or whatever it's called with Lamar Jackson. To have that option, that read option, you need a great running back. And their running back just got hurt, and it's really sad. Zay Flowers, the rookie, looked good. Nine catches, 78 yards. He ran for another, like, 15 yards or something like that. So he looked good. Um and again, I was right about Houston. Not particularly good. The Ravens, it's going to be hard to tell what they are going forward. It wasn't a great effort. I said this about Lamar Jackson. It's easy when you're the guy who's trying to earn the contract. You want to go out there and prove everyone, everyone wrong. It's harder when you have all the pressure on you because you got the contract. Now go out there and prove that we gave the money to the right person. Ask Daniel Jones about that. Either way, they win 25-9 to against a bad AFC North. And speaking of games I was right about, I was all over this one. So back to back. Jacksonville <laughs> and Indianapolis. Uh, I had the Jags minus four and a half and the over 50 and a half in the game. Both of them hit. Jacksonville wins. Or maybe I think it was actually lower than that. It was like 56 or something like that. It was not 50 and a half. Um, I think I got that confused with another game. We'll get to that in a second. But Jacksonville wins 31 to 21. So now I'm three and three on my picks. There we go. Right back at 500 for you. Um, the first thing, again, that I wrote down from this game was the Ridley hype. Everyone talked about Calvin Ridley. Oh, he looks so good. I drafted him in fantasy. He looks great in camp, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. We have this every year with someone. But damn, maybe there was a reason for it. This guy looked fantastic. This guy looked like he hasn't missed a beat. This guy looked fresh. And he looked like the rapport was there. I always said... I took Christian Kirk in every single one of my leagues. Spoiler alert, I think he had one catch. Because I said, well, even if Calvin Ridley comes back and is the same guy, he still needs to get a rapport with Desha with uh, Trevor Lawrence. He's never played with him. Apparently not. Because they looked like they've been playing together forever. They were on the same page. And Calvin Ridley looked awesome. He goes for eight catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. On the other side of the field, Anthony Richardson was electric. Exactly what you'd expect. The guy I wanted to draft in fantasy, and I totally forgot. I actually took J.K. Dobbins over him. Not working out great for me. 
Although Anthony Richardson is also hurt now. He needs to slide. He hurt his knee. He has a bruised knee. So hopefully he'll come back. Cool story came out that after the game in the huddle, or not the huddle, at the at midfield, Trevor Lawrence went over to him. He's like, dude, you're really good. You're really entertaining. That was really fun to watch. But you should slide. You got to protect yourself. This league, you're going to get hurt. You're going to kill yourself. If you keep taking hits like that, they catch up to you over time. And so it's kind of a cool moment from a guy who's not been in the league so long, but already taking that leadership, that older quarterback mentality, not just towards his teammates and his team, but towards the league itself. You see Rodgers doing that. You saw Brady always did that. Manning, of course. So it's cool to see Trevor Lawrence taking on that role. Um, and so that's kind of cool. Lawrence was good. He wasn't great in this game, but I love this team. I think this team wasn't, they, like I said, they didn't have their best game. Indianapolis is not a particularly good football team. They didn't have a great game, though, Jacksonville. They weren't clicking on all cylinders. There's still a lot they can get. Obviously, unlock Christian Kirk. <laughs> I like Josh Allen, the uh, defensive lineman. I, I think there's a lot of good stuff on this team that they can build on in this game, but 31-21, good way to start the season. I told you I have them as the one seed this year. I have Trevor Lawrence winning MVP. It's a solid, solid start. Staying in the AFC South and Tennessee Titans, who I guess are the other favorites, if you want to call them that, to win the AFC South, but they started with a loss. My pick for the game was Tennessee plus three and the under. Both of those hit as well. New Orleans wins 16-15, to and... I'm now five and three on my picks, improving. Um, the Titans play the weirdest games. You think about the Ravens games. They always play the same type of games. Same thing happens with the Titans. It's always, you know, it's a Titan game just from the style of the game. The game started on a, a weird turnover to start the game. There's block punts. There's missed kicks. Everything that could go weird and go wrong goes weird and goes wrong for them in this game. Derrick Henry is still great. My one concern about this, I don't think... Ryan Tannehill is going to last the year as the starter. Derek Carr is still Derek Carr. He has some plays where you're like, where are you throwing it? And he has some plays where you're like, wow, he zipped that in there. That was an incredible throw by Derek Carr. How's this guy not a top 10 quarterback in the league? And this is exactly what New Orleans is going to do all year. They have an easy schedule. And this is the first win that's a bad win. That They didn't do anything impressive. But they're going to win 11 games like this and get used to it. They're going to keep on winning. And they're probably going to win the division, the NFC South, because... I watched Carolina and Atlanta play, and there's problems all over the field for that team as we move forward. I had Carolina plus three and a half, which I missed, but I also said the guarantee, and I picked this guaranteed under. I wanted to bet over three picks in the game. That didn't hit, but guaranteed under 39 and a half in the game. So I hit one and I missed one, so I improved to six and four. Um, Bijan Robinson, that is cool. Like his first touchdown, the spin move, I get the hype. Another guy where it's like, same as Calvin Ridley, where it's like, oh my God, this guy's super hyped up, and he should be. Um, so that was kind of cool to see. And then not only that, but they complement him with Algier, the other running back, and they didn't even have Cordero Patterson play. I don't think he's going to get a ton of snaps when he does because they have this two running back, two headed monster that can just blow up, you know, have an incredible play at any time and just pop off at any single time. It's really cool. And you'd think what this offense could be. And how great this offense could be if they got their incredible tight end who they took in the first round two years ago and their amazing wide receiver they took in the first round last year. And between the two of them, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, they had four total targets. I don't understand it at all. This was a trend that already started last year and it's continuing now. These are two guys who were top picks. You spent first round picks on these guys that are really good players and you don't throw the ball to them. 
Never. You don't even target them. It's not that you can't like you can't get the ball to them. You're not targeting them. You're not trying. And these are two guys who are expected to be really good quarterback or really good receivers in Pitts and London. It's just weird. My father's like, I don't get it. My father has Drake London on his fantasy team. He's like, I was like kind of in between Chris Olave and Drake London. And then Olave went first. So I took London. I was like, yeah, that's what the Atlanta Falcons did in the draft. They were like, okay, we'll either get Olave, London, Garrett Wilson. I think Garrett Wilson has played a step above the other two. Although Olave was great today. But I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on with Desmond Ritter there. And it wasn't just a Desmond Ritter thing. Because the same thing was happening last year when it was Marcus Mariota. So weird, weird situation. I'd love to see the ins and outs of that. But we're not going to see that type of stuff when we look at quarterback. It's just a puff piece. All these new NFL shows, puff pieces. It's fun. Bryce Young's a rookie and he played like one. Had some moments, flashed a little bit. And this is exactly what I thought we'd see from him. So we got the under 24 to 10, 34 points was the total 39 and a half hit the under easily. I thought Carolina would keep it a little bit closer because I didn't trust Atlanta as much, but Atlanta is a better team than Carolina. I don't know why I was more high on Carolina this year than Atlanta, even though I like Atlanta's weapons a lot better. Uh, like I talked like I talked about, but Atlanta gets the win there. Staying in the last team in the NFC South, Tampa Bay went to Minnesota and they won 20 to 17. Minnesota, I bet them to be minus five and a half. And I also bet the over in this game, which was 45 and a half. Neither of those hit. I'm back to six and six on my picks. So back to 500. But what did I tell you about Baker Mayfield? I didn't tell you that they'd win because I didn't think they would. But I told you he was going to put up points. This is why I like the over in the game. Because I was like, Baker Mayfield has that mojo to him. He's got that swag to him where he wants to prove a point. What do you call it? It's not really week one Baker Mayfield, just new place Baker Mayfield. Whenever Baker's in a new setting, like last year it happened on that Thursday night football game when he goes to the Rams for the first time, right? After the injury to Matthew Stafford, that's when he had that big game. So it's new place Baker Mayfield and he's new in uh, Tampa. So he goes off and so funny. Tiki said something so funny about him. He's like, because he just doesn't give a damn. Baker just, he doesn't care. He runes into the offensive lineman. He runs into the hit, big hits. He's just trying to make plays out there. And sometimes he screws up and sometimes he doesn't. But I didn't think it would get to this extent. It's always the meme, right? It's the meme where, where are you on the Baker chart? Feel spited, feel insulted, have a crazy game. Everyone talks about how great Baker is. Plays terrible for a long time. Feel spited. And then it goes in a circle. So yeah, Baker Mayfield, right now we're on the schedule. We're on the part of that little diagram where he felt slighted, had a crazy game. And now he's going to play terribly for a while. Uh, but he actually led them to a win, but not even so much because of him. Mainly because of Minnesota and Kirk Cousins. Like, Justin Jefferson was insane in the first half. I think he had eight catches for 130 yards or something like that in the first half. Jordan Addison catches a touchdown. And you're like, wow, this is it. These two team, these two guys are going to be playing op- opposite each other. It's going to be so easy. They're showing diagrams. So you put... Jefferson inside, and he takes up attention, and you get Addison on the outside, and then you do vice versa. You put them on the same side of the field. You put them on opposite sides of the field. All the different things you can do with Jordan Addison. What I love so much about the Jordan Addison touchdown, another thing was something they highlighted in quarterback, actually, which was it was a third and 11. So it's like, okay, let's try and pick up the first down here. No, they take a deep shot. It's third and 11 anyway. We're not going to go for it. We're not getting trying to get close to the first down. Let's take a shot downfield. They're going to be trying to prevent the first down. Let's take a deep shot blow off the top they ran two guys in this on the same side they ran um jefferson in the slot and they ran addison on the outside and they ran jefferson right around to the first down marker and then addison goes over the top and they throw it to addison get the easy touchdown just an awesome play call and yet 
it's 10-10 at the half because Kirk Cousins had three turnovers. And in the broadcast, they come back from the second half and just an all-time rip to Matt Ryan, who's new on the broadcast. It's him with Tiki, and I forget who the play-by-play guy was, but the play-by-play guy goes, so Matt, I mean, it feels like it should be 28-3 to right now in favor of Minnesota. And Matt just rolls his eyes and goes with it. And Tiki made a face also like, oh my God, like it seemed like he noticed. That definitely felt aimed at uh, Matt Ryan. Obviously, we know 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. And he's like, why do you think that is? And Matt's like, well, turnovers. And that was the case. And then the second half, Kirk Cousins was just awful. It wasn't that he was like, first half, he was good. He just turned the ball over, fumbled twice, and threw an interception. Second half, he couldn't do anything. Throwing behind guys, missing wide open receivers. And they just didn't have a chance. By the way, I wrote this down in my notes. I'm not even sure what I was referring to, but I know it referred to something. I'm sure it's right. Todd Bowles an idiot. I think he challenged something that was like, why is he challenging this? It made no sense. Todd Bowles is still a bad coach. This is a really bad loss for Minnesota, and it kind of makes you question a lot about them. I like them coming into this year, right? Overreaction, though. If we're going to do overreaction Sunday to the first or overreaction Monday to the first week of NFL season, yeah, I'm very nervous about Minnesota. By the way, Mike Evans didn't get his contract. Didn't seem to matter. He had a great game. He balled out. He was falling in drafts not going as high as he used to, not getting as much money in an auction league, and yet he played fine. He played great, actually. Mike Evans did. He could have had even more catches. Sounds like, or it looks like, I should say, he really wants to get out of Tampa Bay. He's looking to play his way to a new team and get a contract there. So good for Mike Evans. Um, Another game, the last 1 o'clock game, this is the last 1 p.m. game, was Arizona and Washington. I didn't watch a ton of this game. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to bullshit you. Washington wins 20 to 16. I love Sam Howell though. Every time I looked up, it looked like Sam Howell was doing something cool, whether he's extending the play with his legs and then throwing a touchdown, whether he's running around back there like a chicken without his head off or I don't know how that saying goes. I think I said it wrong, but my bet by the way on this game was Washington money line. So you win. Congrats. They were favored by minus seven. I didn't take it. I took them on the money line. So seven and six on my bets that I gave you on Friday. Hey, we're doing pretty good. Um, like I said, barely watched this. Sam Howell had some really fun plays, but I, I beg you, Sam Howell, please, please try and target Terry McLaurin more. I think he threw it to him maybe three times the whole game. Terry McLaurin's a really good wide receiver. I know there was one play where he threw a deep downfield to him and there was a pass interference or a holding or something. And so they got a spot of the foul foul, but it would be nice if he could actually throw it to him when he's open and he could make the catch and not just get a penalty and those yards don't count for him. So, uh, yeah. Somehow I'll throw it to Terry McLaurin. He's really good, and he's on my fantasy team, and I need him. Um, all right. So at this point, <laughs> what's happening? It's Sunday. It's about 4 p.m., and my head is spinning. I have 15 bets going. I have two fantasy teams, three if you include the fantasy team that I drafted on this podcast, which I didn't even check today. Um, I don't think I started Mike Evans. Ugh. I kind of wish I did. Um, I love it, but I need to get my endurance up. You need to get back into mid-season form like we started the podcast with, like we started talking about at the top. Um, so it's just, dude, crazy. Craziness. All the games coming down to the wire at the same time. And then you have five more late games. Just absolutely wild. And I'm so happy it's back. I'm, I love football, but still, this is nuts. So the first of the late games was Philly at New England and Brady gets honored and Tom Brady just looks right in a pass uniform. Like I got used to him in the Bucks uniform. I got used to him in Tampa pretty quickly, I would say. But seeing him in a Patriots uniform brought back memories and feelings that 
I didn't even know I had. That just felt so right. It was kind of like watching Derek Jeter take the field on Old Timers Day for the first time, take the field in a Yankee uniform. And let me tell you, Derek Jeter, my favorite athlete ever growing up, was taking the field on Old Timers Day. That made me feel extremely old. And that part of it sucked. But not only that, they wore the right uniform. The Pats did it right. The Jet, the Yankees didn't. The Pats didn't give Brady the current Patriots uniform that they wear on Sundays now because he never wore that uniform as the Patriots. They gave him the old one, the perfect blue and gray one, the one that you saw him a thousand times wearing, and he comes running out, and he's still in incredible shape. Obviously, he played last year, and we know he doesn't put anything in his body. And the Yankees, where they messed up, is because something I noticed on Saturday when they did the old-timers day, they had the freaking Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter wearing star insurance patches on their jersey. As if it isn't bad enough that the current team is wearing it, you're going to put a star insurance patch on Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams and all those guys? You can't do that. That was awful to see. Um, Like I said, it was still cool to see Jeter. And by the way, since we're talking about the Yankees, so I didn't even know there was a baseball game today till after the game was over and there were, the news came out that Jason Dominguez had a torn UCL uh, and he's going to have to have surgery and his season's over. So Jason Dominguez, if you don't know, is the sensational rookie who was called up by the Yankees too little, too late, can't save the season. He's been playing center field for like three games, hit five home runs or something like that in three games. It was awesome. It was banging 300. But he's going to be out for the rest of the year and he's probably going to be out till the middle of June. And I was like, um, this isn't good, but then I had spin zone. Here's a thought, which is great that I could record this a little bit later. I didn't have an instant reaction. Uh, the spin zone was maybe now, and I don't trust that they will do this, but maybe now the Yankees will have to get a, go out and get a real outfielder for opening day and for the first six months of the season, because even when Dominguez comes back, I'll probably have to DH a lot because he won't be able to throw as well. But let's say he comes back mid-June and it's just another bat in the lineup. Now you can bat, play him. Maybe a little bit in center field, but you could play him at DH. And you went out and you got a Cody Bellinger or a real center fielder to hold you over, quote unquote. But now you have a real so like me. I thought that the Yankees calling this kid up was also going to leave lead to them having the excuse of well, now we don't need to address the position in the offseason. Ha ha ha! We outsmart everyone. Hopefully now they still address the position because I still think they need another bat in that lineup. So that's a spin zone. Back to football. I told you not to overthink this. Maybe I just overthought the Yankee thing, but I told you not to overthink this pick. It was Philly minus four. I took it minus four. Ended up being closer than that. It was 25-20, right? So they did cover the minus four, but it was closer than I thought it would be. One thing that I noticed when I was watching this game was how calm and under control Jalen Hurts is. And I know they jumped out to a big lead, and then they didn't really hold on. It kind of got a little mucky for them. They weren't as dominant as they looked at times last year. But he's so under control. Every time when he slides down, it's like, okay, I'm going to slide down here. He has a plan every single thing he's doing. It's almost like when you watch him and then you watch um, Justin Fields, who we'll get to a little bit later, it's like you need to watch Jalen Hurts play a little bit more, Justin Fields, because you need to see how he can do what you're doing, run around and do all those things. But also when he's in the pocket, so calm and cool and collected, it's not always trying to look for the next one. You always seems like he has a plan, and that's uh, something that was super cool to see. From Jalen Hurts, something I didn't even see last year. That seems like he's progressed from last year. That's kind of cool if he could get even better. The receivers on the Patriots, I know Zeke had a fumble, but the receivers are just so bad. They have guys that I never heard of, the tight ends. No one's good on this Patriots team. The fact that they put up 20 points is crazy. Goddard gets targeted once, and actually, well, that was crazy for me also, speaking of on the other side, right, for 
the um for the Phillies for the Eagles, right? So for Philadelphia, Goddard only gets targeted one time. Again, he's on a fantasy team of mine. I need him to get targeted more than once. I know no one cares about my fantasy team, but very specific. Feels like Goddard should have been better than that. One target, zero catches. Not good enough. But the Patriots lose, which is good, right? I thought they'd win a lot of games this year, although I had them losing this week, but I thought they'd win a lot of games this year. Um, another team in the AFC East, though, not as great. And if you want to hear my full AFC East thoughts, go listen to In-Flight Snack, a New York Jets podcast where I was joined by Mookie Hawkins, a Bills beat reporter to break down the whole AFC East. And obviously the Jets-Bills game is going to be on Monday Night Football tonight. Um, So, yeah. So the other team in the AFC East, though, not the Bills, not the Jets, and not the Patriots, the Miami Dolphins, they won. They went 36-34 to in what was a crazy game. That was exactly how I expected it to go. And my number one takeaway from this game is Tyreek Hill. And this is my opinion, but Tyreek Hill is the number one most unstoppable receiver in the NFL. I don't care. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, you could throw anyone at me. But it is impossible to stop him. If you throw it underneath, he just runs around and weaves through and scores. And he takes the top off, and he's so much faster than everyone. He catches in traffic. He runs up. He jumps up and makes incredible plays. I've never seen anything like it. He has Tua underthrowing him half the time. He is the most unstoppable. I'm not saying he's the best, best at anything, but he's the most unstoppable. You cannot stop him. Maybe you could contain him for a half, a quarter. It's like, wow, Tyreek didn't get in the end zone yet. Tyreek Hill is the most unstoppable wide receiver I've ever seen, specifically now in the NFL. There was something so interesting. They showed this at some point on the on the graphic on the on during the game that Tua was throwing primarily over the middle, which is what we know. Tua throws mostly over the middle. He doesn't throw outside the numbers so much. And to his left, right, where he's lefty, so he's always throwing to the left side. And I kept watching it. I'm like, I feel like Tyreek's one-on-one on the outside. On the right side, he's got to go there at some point. Finally, he does go there. He had the one-on-one on the right side. He throws it across his body to the right side, and he got a touchdown. That was the first touchdown to Tyreek. And I was like, finally. In this game, I bet Miami money line, and I bet the over 50 and a half. I got both of those picks, nailed both those picks. By the way, I'm 10 and 6 now because I think, and let me let me see if actually I wrote this down. Um, I was 9 and 6 uh, after, yeah, sorry, I was 8 and 6 after the Philly pick. And then because I hit both the over 50 and a half and the money line for Miami, 10 and 6, that improves me to 10 and 6. And it's exactly how I expected the game to go. Herbert was awesome. He was spot on. There was zero defense in this game. The Miami defense was terrible. But finally, on the last few plays, they stepped it up. I think because Eckler was so good running the ball. So Miami couldn't stop the run at all. But Miami was actually pretty good defending the pass because they were able to get pressure on Herbert. And that's how they end up, the, end up ending the game. Tua has 466 yards passing. Tyreek Hill goes 11 catches for 215 yards and two touchdowns. Absolutely insane. Um, look, I still, I'm scared. Of, look, I told you, if Tua can stay healthy, Miami's a terrifying team. I, this is encouraging to me that they can't play any defense. It's also encouraging to me that the Jets don't play them till later in the year. So Tua probably won't be healthy at that point. But if he stays healthy, this team is definitely a team to look out for. All right, just a couple more games here, and then we'll wrap up the podcast. It's been a bit already. But keeping it in the AFC West, we talked about the Chargers, Denver and Las Vegas, two AFC West teams, and I need everyone to shut the F up about Sean Payton. I need Sean Payton to go away. First of all, I bet the under in this game because I knew there wouldn't be any points. It was 44. The final score was 17-16, so the under hit. 
I'm 11 and 6 on my picks. If only I listened to my own picks. Because I end up betting other things and I get cute and I add parlays and I add different things to it. But if I just bet straight up everything that I said on Friday, I would have been insanely up. I was up, but still. Jeez. Just listen to yourself. Trust your gut. Trust myself. Anyway, Sean Payton, what's he most known for? I think it's pretty obvious. Everyone knows Sean Payton is known for the onside kick in the Super Bowl to start the second half. Really unbelievable decision by Sean Payton, right? Well, Sean Payton decided, I'm going to be cute. I need to make my mark. I need to show you that I'm here. I'm in Denver. I've arrived. So what does he do? Onside kick to start the game. Guess what? It didn't work. That's first of all. If you're going to do something stupid like that, make sure it works. And then guess what? You think you're so special you're going to steal a possession? Well, it didn't matter anyway because you still have Russell Wilson. And the, the, just the dick riding with everyone. Oh, my God. It's champagne. It's different now. It's special. He doesn't know. It's like, this is crazy. Wow. It's the same exact bullshit. Russell Wilson starts the game hot. He scores a touchdown. And then the rest of the game was awful. And he's not willing to run. He's not willing to sacrifice. He's the same exact guy he was last year. You know the difference between him and Jimmy G? At the end of the game, they won the game. Las Vegas was not be, did not because Jimmy G was better than him, but because Jimmy G was willing to make a couple sacrifices, run, take a couple big hits at the end of the game, hang in the pocket a little bit longer to make the plays necessary to win the game. Jacoby Myers, by the way, had a crazy good game, and I was like, wait, Jacoby Myers stunk on the Patriots, or maybe does Mac Jones stink and not Jacoby Myers? Huh. Maybe all those receivers I talked about earlier on the Patriots don't stink that much. Maybe it's just Mac Jones actually is pretty bad. He has a real Bill O'Brien. He's got a real head coach there or a real offensive coordinator there now. Let's see what happens. Speaking of, at the end of the game, there was a scary injury to Jacoby Myers, so I hope he is well. But um, F you, Sean Payton. Maybe go blame Nathaniel Hackett for this loss also. 17-16. You lose to the Las Vegas Raiders who stink, but you stink more. Um Screw you, Sean Payton. My God. And speaking of Nathaniel Hackett, his former team that he was the offensive coordinator for before the Jets and before he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos was the Green Bay Packers. And this was my favorite pick of the day because this was so classic. I had Green Bay money line. I hit Green Bay money line. They go into Chicago. I'm 12 and 6, by the way, for those keeping score at home so far on my picks. They go into Chicago. And they beat up, absolutely destroyed. I didn't even write down the final score because I don't remember what the final score was. I'll look it up real quick. The final score was 38-20. to 20. They absolutely crushed. There was one point where it felt like they were going to start to get back into this game. And my first thing I wrote down was, I told you Romeo Dobbs is good. I picked him up in fantasy. I love Romeo Dobbs. And I'm like, wait, is Jordan Love good? And of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? Because this is what they did. They did it with Favre, and then they sat him, and they went to Rodgers, and then they sat Love, and they came to exact same thing. So all the people tweeting out, which is so funny, future Jets quarterback Jordan Love had a great game. They're not wrong. And they talked, by the way, this is the crew that, that did this game is the number one Fox crew, so it has Aaron Andrews on it. And they talked about Aaron Rodgers more on this broadcast than they'll probably talk about Aaron Rodgers on tomorrow night's broadcast or tonight's broadcast of Monday Night Football. They were going so... And it wasn't even Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They just kept bringing Aaron Andrews in like, hey, tell us more about Rodgers, his relationship with Jordan Love and what he did. He sat behind Favre and now Love sat behind Rodgers and now he's going to come in. It's just... But I love it because it's just so classic. Chicago Bears feel like the big boogeyman is gone. This is exactly what I said on the, on the podcast last week, on Friday. 
The big boogeyman is gone. We're finally going to beat him. No, you lose. You lose again. And not only that, but there's another quarterback who's now going to be there for the next 15 to 20 years, and he's going to own your ass also. His name's Jordan Love. Get used to it. By the way, same thing. I talked about Justin Fields earlier. He's still good. He's still okay. He's still solid. He still makes some plays that I said afterwards to my father. I'm like, how do you only have 15 fantasy points? Because he has some plays where it's just, wow, he's magical. But he has to... Learn how to harness it. Learn how to turn it into actually being a good quarterback where you could throw, where you could play under control, where you, even the running plays, you could still be under control. And he has to figure that part of it out. If he had someone like Aaron Rodgers sitting in front of him the way Jordan Love did and he sat for a year or two, maybe he'd be as good as Jordan Love is now. But no, you're a terrible franchise and you're always going to be a poverty franchise. And you know what? Green Bay still owns you. doesn't matter if it's Favre. doesn't matter if it's Rodgers now, Jordan Love. Green Bay owns Chicago. I love it. So that's my overreaction for that game, by the way, because I don't know if Love's actually going to be the next guy in Chicago, but let's go for it. Let's go with it for now. I'll say that. It's, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm exhausted. I don't, I'm more tired than I'd normally be at 2 a.m., if that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know why, but I just am. 2 a.m. is usually not that late for me, but I'm losing it. So one more game, and then we'll wrap up here. It's been 50 minutes already, 51, 55 minutes, something like that. Uh, last game of the day, and that was L.A. and Seattle. I bet the Rams plus four, and I bet the under. Those were my picks, so I hit both of those. The under was 46.5. The final score was 30-13, to 13, which is 43 points. So I end 14-6. and six. If I follow my own picks, next week I'm going to follow my own picks. So hopefully I don't go crazy with my picks on the podcast, and then I follow them, and I'm actually going to hit some picks on Sunday. So beware for that. Just... Throwing that out there. I might actually do have a really good gambling week next week. If only I bet my own picks. Jeez. Uh, the one thing that was a takeaway from this game was we talked about that this team could end up being sellers and the Rams. Stafford looks healthy and he looks fired up. And so does Aaron Donald. This is without Cooper Cup. They still looked really good. They put up 30 points. And maybe Geno's coming back down to reality a little bit. But more than that, I was really impressed by Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald. A couple of guys that we just assume, okay, they won their title a couple of years ago, just right off into the sunset. And a story came out that today, right before kickoff, that when the Jets weren't sure what was happening with Aaron Rodgers, they inquired about Matthew Stafford and acquiring him from the LA Rams. And the Rams said no. So maybe they're still trying to go for it with Matthew Stafford. And they really feel like they still have a chance with him. And this window is not just a window from two years ago, but this window is still open now. And if Aaron Donald is this dominant... He talked about reinventing himself and all that stuff. But if he can be this good and stay healthy, if Stafford can be this good and stay healthy, hopefully they get cut back at some point this season. This could be a big year for the LA Rams. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast. The Jets play tonight. If you listen to the in-fight snack, you know that I think the Jets are going to win. I'm cautiously optimistic. But since recording that podcast, I just had this terrible feeling come overcome me because of what I saw the Giants do. And I know it always comes back to my Jets, but I'm like... Something about it, something about the Cowboys, a division rival coming into MetLife Stadium and absolutely blowing the doors off of a team that's been hyped up and talked about all summer long in New York makes me feel really not good. I could see the Buffalo Bills coming in here and absolutely dismantling Aaron Rodgers, absolutely destroying the Jets. It was the offensive line for the Giants that was their bugaboo. That's been the Jets' bugaboo. Two of the main guys that we need to step up, the two tackles, Dwayne Brown and Mekhi Becton, both popped up on the injury report late in the week. I'm scared, but I'm cautiously optimistic. That's the goal, right, with this Jets team. So let's go Jets. Until next time, please like, subscribe, share the podcast. There's going to be some really cool stuff coming on on that podcast. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about my career, continue all that stuff on this podcast. 
Until next time, I appreciate everyone for listening. Peace out. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't change it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks yeah. on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you Printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go oh, oh, I ain't change it oh, 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 Always on my I was Godsent. I used to hit them courtyard and prospect. Take them long walks on my time spin. Just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck. Dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit. Walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city. Ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving. East side be the only side that I'm riding.